living above the snake line. And we'll get to it in a minute. But we need to understand something. Walking in the Spirit is really not optional. Paul makes that very clear. We literally, we literally have to do it because if we don't, the, op, the, the alternative is walking in the flesh, which eventually will kill you. Oh, preacher, you're being dramatic now. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Watch this. Romans, for those who live according to the flesh, he's talking to Christians. For those who live according to the flesh, set their what? Minds on the things of the flesh, right? But those who live according to the Spirit, you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Well, okay, but watch this. For to be carnally minded as a Christian is death. But to be spiritually minded is life. <laughs> I'm going through adolescence again. And peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity. It is against God. For God is not, for, wait a minute. for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Wow. Even if you live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Is that the word of God? All right. I'm off the hook. For if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the son. If you're led by the Spirit of God, you're a son of God. If you're led by the Spirit of God, you have access to your inheritance as a son. Ah, come on and praise him. Amen. For my beloved ones, I have saved these most important truths for last. Be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Stand, say stand, stand victorious with the force of his explosive power flowing in and through you. Wow, big word. Put on God's complete set of armor. We're in Ephesians, right? Put on the complete set of armor provided for us so that you will be protected as you fight. The Bible never says you won't have a fight. It says you'll be protected in the fight. It, didn't, it said there will be weapons formed against you, but they will not prosper. Come on, church. So that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. Uh-huh. Your hand-to-hand -hand combat, this is from the Passion Translation, is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. How many know there's going to be more of them in these last days? The Nephilim are, okay. 
Because of this, you must wear all the armor that God provides so you're protected as you confront the slanderer, for you are destined for all things and will rise victorious. So we talked about walking in the Spirit. How do you do that? It's important to understand how to live in the Spirit. If you haven't been here, then you need to go back and listen to the messages and follow and, and pick up all this. But we, but we talked about walking in the Spirit as a dance, right? That, that we're invited to the table that is Father, Son, Holy Ghost. For all eternity, it's been Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And people say, oh, no, it's, it's Jesus only. No, it's Father. It's not three gods. But quit trying to simplify a mystery. It's Father, Son, Holy Ghost, not three gods, but three persons. If, if there's not three persons, then God is lonely. He does not know fellowship. He would, what is he going to, just going to love himself? That's narcissistic. <laughs> Hello? So, are y'all hearing me? He didn't create us because he was lonely. Oh, I need someone to talk to. I mean, eternity's a long time. So, what's happening here is at some point, there is no time, so I don't even know how to describe this. He welcomes us in. He creates us. And it, I told you, it just, blessed, it just blessed my soul to understand that God, that I'll live forever. But you know what? He's, I've been in his mind forever. That blows my mind. He didn't wake up one morning and say, I think I'll create a Bruce. And he's going to be a preacher. And, uh, <laughs> and one day he'll figure this God love thing out. No, no, no. I've been in his mind for eternity. And you too. And even sinners. You say, why did he make sinners? He, he didn't make sinners. He made us. He just made us, and then we have to choose. What good is it to have people who are forced to serve? Or made in such a way like, you know, like a computer program where you have to serve God. No. You have a choice. Apparently angels do. Oh, my God. Y'all aren't praying. I can't get out of the introduction. So we're invited to the table. We talked about that word, perichoresis, the circle dance. And it's not just being at the table, but it's being invited to the dance. And it's a dance because there are moves in the Spirit, and you need to learn them. And, and you, you need to stop being a Christian wallflower, just sitting on the edge, just hoping somebody will invite you, ask you to dance. You, you've been invited already. Get out there on the dance floor. Get out there on the dance floor. I, I don't know how to dance. Just get out there. I don't know how to walk in the Spirit. Just get out there. Get your mind on the Lord. Practice the presence of God, and you will learn the dance steps. The Holy Ghost is a dove on your shoulder, so you need to walk in such a way that you honor and respect the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Hello? 
There are places you ought not go. There are, there are things you ought not be saying. There are things you need to get under the blood. Hello? Because the Holy, you are the, you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wow. So we're to the point now where we've been talking about how to, how to get in the Spirit. In this last message, I want to talk about how to stand once you're there. How to stand in the Spirit. And I read that in Ephesians but let's, get, let's read in Romans chapter. Are you ready for a good portion of Scripture? You okay? Romans chapter 8. I am convinced from the Passion Translation, so you'll hear it a different way. <laughs> I am convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. I feel like, I feel like Journey Life Center has yet to be unveiled in a great and powerful way. You all ready? Ah, praise God. Because, uh, where am I? Um, to this day, we are aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation as it were, in the contractions of labor for childbirth. And in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, we don't, know, we don't even know how to pray or know the best things to ask for. But the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede, I like that, on our behalf, pleading to God, with emotional sighs too deep for words. God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit. He knows what you, you need and want, but he also knows what the Spirit in you is saying. We don't always pray like we... Because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us. Wow. His holy ones in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good news into our lives. This word preaches all by itself. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. Ah. For he knew all about us before we were born, and he destined us for the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. Having determined our destiny ahead of time, he calls us to himself and transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he called. And those who possess his perfect righteousness, he co-glorified with his son. So what does all this mean? If God is determined to stand with us, tell me, who can ever stand against us? My God, I wish I could dance. For God has proved his love by giving up his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else. He has to give. Who then would dare to accuse those 
whom God has chosen in love to be his. God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them. Not guilty. Give him praise right there. Who then is left to condemn us? Remember the woman that they were throwing stones at? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one. For he gave his life for us. And even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? Who could separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. Troubles, pressures, problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. But what, what about persecutions, deprivations, honor, uh, dangers, and death threats? No, for they are all impotent to hyper-omnipotent. Love. Even though it is written, all day long we face death threats for your sake, God. We are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. Yet in, 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 even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over all them. For God has made us to be more than conquerors. My favorite verse. And his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's trouble, fallen angels, dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us. No power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. Put your hands together and just praise him. What a word. What a word. Amen. Wow, what a word. Praise the Lord. Walking in the Spirit is life. Walking in the flesh leads to death. But he has given us a way and a place to actually stay and stand against all that the enemy's throwing at us. And you know what's not just the enemy, it's the, it's the dumb things we do. Oh, yeah, none of you ever got yourselves in, problem, in trouble. And all the things that other people, even church people, throw at us. Paul said, I'm convinced I can stand. Standing, standing. He said, having done all to stand, just stand. Do what you know to do. So I don't know what to do. Just do, just do what you know to do. God doesn't hold you responsible for things you don't know. But whatever you know to do, do, and then just stand. Because he's there holding you up. You're not going to fail. You're not going to fall. 
and all the bad things and negative things and the step backs and all that, you know God uses that for something else. We're, we're good to go. We're going to be able to stand. He says, put on the armor of God. You know we could talk a whole, we could preach a whole series there. I, I would encourage you, one thing you could do, especially in times of warfare, is, is, is to, when you get up in the morning, just physically just go through that. To just, just pretend like you're putting on it. Don't go buy a suit of armor. <laughs> Freak your wife out. Come on. But actually put the helmet on. Just put the breastplate on. Put, you know, just put everything on in the morning like you're actually going out dressed. Whew, glory to God for battle. And by the way, there's no armor in the back, so don't retreat. I think the only wounds we get are in the back. Just like the devil. So, speak of the devil. The Bible says he's a snake. We see this in the garden, and we see it in the book of Revelation. Of course, it's different in the garden. In the garden, he's, he's just sneaky. He's a deceiver. And he walks on two legs. So he's like, hey, Eve. Wink, wink. He, he's almost a nice guy. He's just a deceiver. But by the 6,000 years later, by the time you get to the book of Revelation, he's a dragon. <laughs> he is ticked off. He is angry. He is ferocious. He's, he's eating things, <laughs> eating people. And then another sign alongside the first, a huge and fiery dragon, which is a serpent. It had seven heads and ten horns, a crown on each of the seven heads, which is probably going to be a nation, right? With one flick of his tail, it knocked a third of the stars from the sky and dumped them on earth. The dragon crouched before the woman, capital W, in childbirth, poised to eat up the child when it came. I mean, no, he tried to kill Jesus. When the dragon saw he'd been thrown to earth, he went after the woman who had given birth to the man-child. The woman, that's the church, was given wings of a great eagle to fly to a place in the desert to be kept in safety and comfort for a time and times and half a time, safe and sound from the serpent for a while. The serpent vomited a river of water to swamp and drown her, but earth came to help her. Swallowing the water, the dragon spewed from its mouth, help us with rage. The dragon raged. How many believe the, the dragon starting to rage at the church? Then went off to make war with the rest of her children, the children who keep God's commands and hold firm to the witness of Jesus. Are you all hearing what I'm saying? But yet we can stand. There's a safe house from the dragon, from the snake. And the scriptures are all over this thing. So what is this snake line? The early um, pioneers that came to uh, in the New England area, they, they found out that if they would go a little higher, if they would build their houses a little higher, a little higher in the, in the, in the mountains, that there was a certain place where the snakes stopped to exist. And it's called the snake line. And it's true all over the world. And I guess what, it, what they think it is is the higher you go, the thinner the atmosphere, 
And apparently there's something about the atmosphere that when it reaches a certain thinness, then snakes say, mm, I'm not going there. I'm not going there, okay? So they would build their house above what they called the snake line. <laughs> there is a snake line. There's a line that the devil cannot cross. He can't. The air's too thin. You're too high. There's a place. John 3:14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I don't know if you remember that story, but there was some kind of uh, a plague going on, and he told Moses to, to make a snake. In fact, somebody was asking me, I forget who it was, somebody was even asking me about this last week. Why would he make a snake, which is a symbol of the devil? And he says, if everyone who looks at the snake, then they'll be healed. And you're like, why would I look at a snake? It is the symbol for medicine. Don't get ahead of me. <laughs> Doctors have it on. Okay. But the Bible says, listen to what Jesus said, and, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people. He's like a magnet that if you have the same DNA as he does, as he goes up, you go up. Now, this scripture has several meanings, but the main meaning, the first meaning, the basic meaning is that is the crucifixion. It's the crucifixion, right? So, if he'll be lifted up. The Bible says he became sin. It didn't say he sinned. It said he became sin. Can I put it another way? He became the snake. And then when, when we look to the cross, we're healed. When we look to the cross, we're saved. When we... But there has to be a lifting up. That's why you need to praise the Lord, because praise puts you in a higher place. That's why you need to worship the Lord, spend time in his presence, spend time with the, with the other saints, because the higher you go, the less likely the enemy is going to have any success. I'm not saying there's a place that you can go to where the devil can't touch you. I'm not saying that. He, you know, he'll, he'll do what he can do. But I tell you, as you're worshiping God, the air gets so thin that he's just like, Ugh. He's like me this morning. He can't hardly do anything. I mean, I mean I, obviously he can do what he can do, but, he, but no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Amen. There's a place in God. But when you walk in the flesh, you are a living target of a living poisonous snake. But when you're in the spirit realm, you're covered. Cover me. You're covered. Wow. He became snake, a snake, and as we look at him, we are covered. What is the snake line? Everything above the snake line is what the Bible calls the secret place, a hiding place. Come on, church. 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. This is why we are to yearn for all that is above. For that's where Christ sits, enthroned at the place of all power, uh, honor, and authority. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm. Fill your, remember we've been talking about this? With heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural realm. Remember I've been telling you about this, that your your brain is wired to attach itself to negative things because they're threatening. That's just the way our brain is wired. Our brain is not wired to attach to pleasant things. They're pleasant. They're not a threat. So scientists have discovered what you need to do is if you see a beautiful sunset, just say, oh, that's pretty. (laughs) But just take five, six, seven seconds and focus on it. And your brain will say, hmm, he must think that's important. Connect. Connect. Those of you that are as old as me, maybe younger, how many know you get more forgetful? You already forgot what I just said. So what I've discovered, I, I will lay my phone down, and a minute later, I can't remember where in the world I put my phone. One day I couldn't remember it till I looked in my hand. <laughs> Haven't got a clue where I put my glasses. Well, what I discovered is when I lay my phone down, if I make a, a conscious, I say, I left my phone on the end table and then walk away, I almost never forget. I made a point. When someone tells you your name, their name, you should repeat it. And I, and I try to make some association with it. I've got some weird associations with some of your names and some I can't publicly share, but I, <laughs> it's just weird that way, you know. You can imagine. Please don't imagine. No, don't. But if you make that association, if you spend a few seconds thinking about it, you're much more likely to remember. And right there, Paul says, think on these things. And he makes a list. And isn't it interesting? I don't, and I, listen, I don't want to play down the day you were saved or that miracle, but he doesn't mention anything big. He doesn't mention any miracles. He just said, remember Philippians, think on these things, whatever is virtuous, whatever is good, whatever is, amen? We have to be careful not to, not to just confine God to the super miracles. And God's not here unless we're all yelling and screaming and, and, and people coming out of wheelchairs. That's the only time God's here. No, God's in a sunset. God's in a flower. God's in my garden when I pull the weeds. Until you can start finding God in the little things. Until you can walk through those doors back there and just shake someone's hand and realize that God lives in them and they love you and you love. That's, let me tell you, you're not going to be happy till you start dwelling on those things. 
We Pentecostals are guilty of just highlighting everything, and we're just not happy unless something crazy is going on. I'm thankful for the crazy. I'm thankful for the miraculous. I'm thankful for all that, but I don't live just waiting for all that. I'm not disappointed because I can find God in the smallest of things. Anybody here? Anybody hear what I'm saying? Oh, my God, my God, my God, my God. Did I finish this? Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life, and now your true life is hidden away, hidden away. Say hidden away. In God, in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, just one verse, verse 6. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and, and we, wow, we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority. Say authority. Of the heavenly realm, for we are now co-seated. Now, co-seated with Jesus Christ. That's powerful. Psalms 91, the whole psalm, I won't read it all. Psalm 91, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. Isn't the devil seen as a lion? And as a snake. The young serpent, of the young lion, and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high. Why? Because he has known my name. Wow. Wow. Praise the Lord. Here's the thing about i got to hurry up. By the way, this will be two parts. <laughs> Here we go. Number one, it's a secret. Like I said, it's a secret hiding place. Number two, I can go through this quick enough. It's not where we naturally choose to live. If you're going to farm, you don't want to be high up in a on the hill where it's rocky soil. It's better to farm down in the valley. Here's something you got to understand about the spirit life. When you get there, you are dependent on God and not your environment. People stay in the flesh because they can control the flesh or they think they can. They say, I'm going to live down here because the soil is better, because there's more water, it's easier, I'm more comfortable here, down here. But the snakes live down here. We go a little higher. I said, why would God put me in a place that's kind of barren? Because he wants you to understand that he is your source. He is your provider. He's the one that will give you exactly what you need when you need it. And you don't need the fertile soil and all the water. All you need is him. Give him praise. Amen. Walking in the spirit is trusting God. Not your banker, not your counselor. Not your pastor. It's trusting in him. It's not where we would naturally live. I was going to talk about four different kinds of snakes. You got to know what they are. Because Paul said we are not ignorant of his devices. And it's amazing how these four kinds of snakes are seen in Scripture. And once we uncover them, you're going to be able to stand as never before. 
Thank you for joining us for part one of Living Above the Snake Line. Join us next week for part two.